episode 20, A Conversation with Jackie Gunderson. After yet another disappointing performance by so many adults at this week's Unit 5 school board meeting, I felt compelled to dispel some of the myths around the topics of inclusive sex ed by going right to the source. That's right, folks. I've walked into the belly of the beast to sit down with Jackie Gunderson. I should mention in this analogy, the belly of the beast was a Zoom call, but I still felt prepared to combat whatever sort of indoctrination may lay ahead. All joking aside, Jackie is a highly qualified LGBTQ and diversity activist proven by the fact that local school districts look to her, along with many others, to help make the classroom more inclusive. We had a great conversation about this issue in an effort to share some truth. This should not be the only conversation you hear on this topic, but I hope I can offer a baseline of factual knowledge to start from. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Keep Your Day Job podcast. Second episode in a week, largely as a result of the Unit 80, Unit 87, District 87 and Unit 5 school board meetings that we have seen over the past couple of weeks. Um, I am very fortunate today uh, to have the center of controversy, Jackie Gunderson, joining us on the podcast. Um, hello, Jackie. How are you? Hey, Ed. Thanks for having me and for centering uh, my abrasive <laughs> um uh whatever we're calling this uh i guess i thank you for bringing me in so i can uh maybe set the record straight a little bit <laughs> right and and let's use common language we're going to unpack this issue is what we're going to unpack do. it <laughs> <laughs> oh how are you doing it's good to see you we haven't spoken since the people first coalition so yeah. Oh, oh, what a difference six months can make. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm good. And I am fully embracing this civilian life. And um, I am completely feral now. I can yell about whatever I want to yell about. Um, and here I am in the middle of this um, made up controversy. And so the good news is I didn't win my campaign. So I get to talk freely about this as much as I want. <laughs> so I'm yeah. glad to be here. And, um, and it's a good, good thing to have people like you that want to unpack these issues and, and really uh, talk about them from the perspective of truth um, mm -hmm. and understanding. So thank you for having me in and, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, and let me let me just say right there that it's an interesting for for those people who who want to believe that we've made all the progress we need to make on issues of race and sexuality. Um, let me just throw this thought experiment out there for you. What if Jackie was mayor and we were dealing with these issues, right? What what do we think that people would be doing in terms of reacting? I, I believe that some folks on the right would be trying to align you with uh, much larger powers than they already are trying to align you with. And I think that right there is a mark of all the work we have to do. Absolutely. And I think it's important to start before we get into all of these um, different things in, and talking about the incredible amount of privilege that I have to be sitting here with you. Um, I am an openly queer person and I am safe to do this. I am a white, cisgender, straight passing woman. I can walk down the street without fear of being um, harassed for my sexuality. I 
have an incredible amount of privilege to be able to speak from this community as someone whose living situation, career, um, family situation, none of those are in jeopardy for me raising my voice, okay? So that's the thing to start with. And had I become mayor, um, I would have been using that privilege um, to speak for uh, the people in my community that are not safe to do so. We know that even in 2021, LGBT plus people, especially trans people of color are harassed, assaulted and murdered every day still, right? And so me becoming mayor would have been a little chip away at this um, system that has been in place for a very long time, trying to silence our voices. Um, and it matters. Um, so while it probably would have stirred up some, some folks that um, aren't there, um, it also matters for the folks that on, on the LGBTQ plus side um, to see somebody living authentically and unapologetically, it starts to give them space to do that as well. Um, and so while it, it would have been um, potentially more attention like this, um, I think it also would have paved the way for people um, younger than me to maybe start to lean into those. And, and maybe even just my campaign did, and maybe um, my name coming up in this way is doing that as well. Um, but I think we would be seeing what's happening at the school board meetings, at city council meetings. Um, not that we haven't, but I think they would have been um, even more um, loud if I was the one sitting um, in the middle of that city council leading those meetings. And so um, there are there are um, pros and cons to me losing in that I can do this freely and I don't have to worry yeah. about <laughs> that position I hold. Um, and I, I work for somewhere that is incredibly inclusive and, and encourages these kinds of things. So I don't have to worry about my career um, outside of that as well. So that is a blessing in disguise yeah. for losing. Yeah, well, I mean, here on the Keep Your Day Job podcast, we're all very concerned with keeping our day jobs. Um, <laughs> so, so I feel you on that. And I think, you know, I don't want to get into the People First Coalition too much, but I think it's a, it's, a, it's a historical marker in this area that the coalition was able to come together and make as much noise as they did, right? Uh, I think what we know is that progress to quote Obama, which I really don't want to do, progress is not a linear path, right? And and I think that we have these peaks in the historical dialogue that lead to much greater things. And I think that it was motivating to all the young people in the community or all the progressive people in the community, the people who believe outside of this kind of two-party rhetoric right now, that that something is possible. And I don't know where it goes, but I'm, I'm very encouraged by that. Appreciate that. Yeah. I don't know where it goes either, but we did get a lot of people engaged that hadn't been engaged previously, um, and it's incremental. So, right, it's not linear, and it's incremental. So we make little steps in, along the way, um, and a lot of what's being yelled about right now is that the steps feel too big to some people. Um, the steps that are happening but haven't yet happened, um, we've now created this um, fairy tale about it, or I guess in their, their case, it would be like a horror story um, about what's really happening. And then we're just yelling about it, even though it's not actually what's happening. Um, and so I think when we think about those little changes, they do matter and those little steps do matter. Um, but along the way, you have to be willing to brace yourself for when those steps feel too big to people who are not willing to think on a broader scale or are not willing to think bigger. Um, 
And so I think that's what we're seeing. And I'm, I'm glad to be able to continue to raise my voice on behalf of it. Yeah. Well, let's, before we, before we offer you a platform to raise your voice on these issues, let's talk a little bit about your background. Um, so help, help listeners who have never heard of who you are before understand who you are. Okay. Well, I wear a lot of hats. Um, and so we've just talked about my mayoral bid. Um, outside of that, I am, have a day job. Um, and so I'm a procurement manager of construction and facilities purchases at ISU. Um, and that has been thrown around as a, um, like it challenges my qualifications to speak, but that's just my full-time job. I have a lot of other jobs too. Um, and member, so but but to, to, just to, to set the record straight, you are a member of a very liberal university who is pushing their views on all their students. Is that correct? Um, well, yes, we are indoctrinating, indoctrinating our students. They're paying us a lot of money to indoctrinate them. Correct. Yes. <laughs> Please continue. Um, <laughs> Um, I'm sure they'll love to hear that. Um, but yes, so um, I also have been the lead facilitator of a youth group for LGBTQ and um, allied youth for the last five years. We just celebrated five years um, at the beginning of June. Um, and so outside of my full-time job, I have given up every, almost every single Friday night for the last five years to create a space where youth um, who are questioning or who are leaning all the way into their identity or who are there to support their friends who are going through this journey um, to just be themselves. And, and our motto is, is literally a place to be yourself, whoever that might be. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for the last five years, that's what I've been doing every Friday night. I've been hanging out with a bunch of kids who are just trying to explore what it looks like to exist in this world. Um, and so separate from that, as if that's not enough to qualify me to speak upon uh, youth inclusion uh, relating to LGBTQ issues, I'm also an LGBTQ person <laughs> um, who has navigated some of the things. Um, and part of what my work is, is to create spaces that didn't exist when I was a kid, that didn't exist for the um, generation before me, to pave the way to make spaces more inclusive. Um, so kids can just be whoever they are, right? Um, and so that's a piece of it. And within that role, I've had the opportunity to advocate on behalf of half of the youth at the school board level um, with parents um, who are navigating this with their kids, um, with other caregivers, with DCFS. Um, LGBT youth are overrepresented in the foster care system. And so I've had the opportunity to talk about like how we do better by these youth who are often kicked out of their houses. Um, I've been able to advocate for um, youth in crisis using some of our local organizations who are equipped. Um, I am trained in mental health first aid. So when we have a youth in crisis, I'm able to support that. I also am DCFS background checked. I'm a mandated reporter. Um, I don't just roll up into this like youth group and create this space um, as someone who's just casually doing construction bids for ISU, right? So like that's the, the narrative is that I don't have the qualifications. Um, we've had several youth who've had emergency housing needs because they've been kicked out. Yeah. We're very lucky to have Project Oz in Bloomington um, who is equipped to help with these emergency housing needs when youth are kicked out, which um, LGBT youth are kicked out on, on much higher um, percentages than their straight and cisgender peers. 
because of their identity. Um, and so I've had the opportunity to do that, provide resources, bring in other organizations um, to help these kids um, navigate it. It's hard. hard. Being a teenager is hard to begin with. Being a teenager with any of these other things, um, being in the foster care system, being queer, um, being a person of color who also maybe meets some of those check boxes, right? Like that's a lot of things that those kids are carrying around. Um, so that's a big piece of where I come from. And then I'm engaged and network with a lot of organizations in town that are also doing this work. So I'm not doing it by myself. I have a group of incredible adults who also have given up their Friday nights for the last five years. I'm just the loud one. Um, I'm just the, the one with the bullhorn right now. Um, but I, I haven't done it by myself. Um, and so that's where I come from. I'm also married to a non-binary person. And so I've navigated I told you at the beginning, I come from an incredible place of privilege, um, but my spouse is non-binary, which falls under the trans flag, um, right, or umbrella. And um, I've navigated advocating for them. They are an introvert, they are quiet, they are never gonna like speak up and I'm the one like, oh, excuse me, that's not how we do things here. Um, and just watching um, them navigate the world They've known since they were four years old that they didn't like fit what they were assigned at birth, but it took till their thirties to have the language and the experiences to be able to live authentically. And so what part of what I wanna do is create a space where kids get to do that sooner, where they get to unpack um, those heavy things that they're carrying around um, and let go of the shame and live authentically earlier in life so that they can live more full lives. So that's a long version of why I'm qualified um, to talk about this. Yeah. Well, and I think one point that I'd like to make before we move on to the next question is that at no point were you talking about um, excluding or punishing. And I, I think that that becomes like a serious crux in this conversation is inclusive. Inclusivity means the inclusiveness of all. And, and there's a lot of us who know what inclusivity feels like without even having to fight for it. And so that's, that's yeah. one thing I, I've never heard you or anyone from the community talk about specifically excluding people, right? Like, or, or, or shaming people. So yeah, it's not in my genetics. I can't mm -hmm. like my whole goal is to level the playing field for the people who have been excluded, give them a seat at the table or raise my voice when they're not able to because they're not safe to or for whatever reason but there's a time for me to speak up and there's a time for me to get out of the way and i'm hoping we're going to get to talk about some of the other people um later on um who are raising their voice and and um and so it's not just me it's not i'm not the expert on this i'm just the one that's being the loudest about it right now which means you know i think my dad said something to me recently that really applies here he said um you don't get tomatoes in your face if you don't raise your head above the crowd. Um, and so, you know, right now I'm taking a tomato to the face because I'm putting my head and my neck above above the crowd for a little bit because I'm safe to, because I can. Um, I have the shoulders to brunt um, the, the backlash. Um, and so I'm taking a tomato to the face and I hope that more people will be able to join me soon um, and take some tomatoes with me, so. Well, so I think, yeah, let's, let's talk about the thing that first got you on everybody's radar. Um, the, your, your engagement with the local school district, was it just 87 or just Unified? I'll let you speak to that. But my main question is, how did you infiltrate our schools? <laughs> um, so I have 
a few years ago, I got invited in to do an inclusion training. So we just talked about that um, with a couple youth organizations in town. And so my name was out from that, um, from those trainings that I did. And it was District 87 um, just this year. One of the District 87 elementary schools had a very young child come out as transgender to their counselor. And this staff at this elementary school within District 87 said, whoa, we're not prepared for this. And you know, maybe we're naive, but we didn't think at this age level that we would be navigating this. Um, and we don't wanna do it wrong. And so they reached out and my name was given to them. And I sat down with just that counselor first. And I explained a lot of what I ended up putting in the training. Um, and then she shared with her principal, um, that information, that principal had me come in and do this training for the entire staff of that elementary school. Um, and then she also passed my name along to um, the counselor supervisor, I guess. Um, and so all of the counselors within District 87 had the opportunity for professional development to go through the training as well. Um, and then my name was passed on to the principal of the Bloomington High School, also in District 87. Um, and I conducted staff development um, for their May training. So it was an hour long. Um, I did it seven times, but it was, they got to choose which one worked with like their planning period. So I did the same training seven different times instead of just all, however many hundred staff mm -hmm. and faculty members being in a room, I just did it. Um, over the course of two days, but it was the same training seven times, one hour training. Um, so that's, so I that, got a key on that there because if what I've heard in the business world is that if you say a word seven times, you'll remember it forever. So to fully indoctrinate the people, were you forcing them to go through all seven trainings? Oh no, they got to choose to just go through <laughs> once. Now I'm fully like, it's in my brain forever. I can't undo <laughs> it now, but <laughs> yes, they, they came during their planning period or their free period um, and just sat in one time. So uh, there was also some like, some words bouncing around about me doing a two-day training and, and why mm -hmm. am I qualified to do a two-day training? I didn't do a two-day training. I did a one-hour training seven times <laughs> in two days. Um, and, so, and for anyone who's done a one-hour training seven times in a row, you know how fun that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so I do want to say some of what we'll get to is um, the training was in all of those cases that I just told you, the uh, community organizations, the grade school, the counselors, and then at the high school, no children were ever involved in that. It was faculty and staff. It was a diversity, equity, and inclusion training. It was for professional development. Um, and again, no children were involved. It was yeah. training for faculty and staff or, or uh, adults only. Yeah, and professional development is very different than curriculum development, right? Because Correct. I go through professional development at my job, and that could be learning a new tool or something that my job may not be requiring me to do. Yeah, and so I started each of the trainings with an opportunity for um, for the faculty and staff to start to lean into their privilege like I am, um, and I asked them if they were aware of any bills that were out um, that their youth might be paying attention to, even if they weren't happening in Illinois. And then through some discussion, I was able to share with them that the ACLU um, estimates that there have been since the beginning of the 2020 legislative session, which was delayed because of 
COVID, um, and then the 2021 legislative session, there were over 200 active bills that were anti-trans or anti-LGBT. And luckily in Illinois, that was not the case. But I, what I was trying to get them to see is even if it's not happening here, your youth are noticing it. They're hearing their parents talk about it. They're hearing their probably their church, their other organizations, their aunts, uncles, grandparents, friends, talk about these things. Um, and if they're not out, they might be hearing some really negative things that tell them they're not safe to come out now because they've just heard this, right? And so I think in one of those seven trainings, someone brought up the inclusive sex ed bill and the inclusive LGBT history bill that passed last year as like, oh, but in Illinois, we have this. And I was like, A plus, um, we do indeed have that. Um, and that was the extent of what we talked about as yeah. far as that goes. So let's, can we unpack those those bills? Because you sent me three articles. And I was yeah. hoping you yeah. clarify. I'm not going to misrepresent those as bad as I should. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, I don't have the house numbers in front of me. Well, for the one that passed last year. But last year, uh, Quality Illinois, along with several other community organizations, um, advocated, and it was a several-year um, process, advocated for some pieces to be included in the history curriculum not a whole class, not a whole um, mm -hmm. like revamp, um, just to include some LGBT history into American history. Because LGBT history is a part of American history. And just like what I'm sure, you know, Brandon had a lot to say about those elements of race that are being included. Um, it's the same thing. Let's include some pieces, some stories that maybe never were told. I graduated from high school 15 years ago, and I can tell you, none of those stories were told to me. It has been since then that I've learned about, you know, Stonewall and Harvey Milk and, you know, some of these like pioneers um, that, that paved the way for me to be safe to sit here and, and lean into this privilege, right? And so there's a a bill, it already passed last year, um, and I think it's to be implemented at the beginning of this coming school year, the 2021 school year. Um, and and all, all districts and schools will have control over what that looks like. And it's, it's just to start to put some LGBT history in with the stories and the histories we're already teaching um, and how that lines up with the things we're already teaching, right? How did that happen with the civil rights movement? How did that happen with the AIDS um, epidemic? How did that happen with marriage equality, right? What happened to get us there? Um, and so that one already passed. That's already a thing. I had nothing to do with it. Also, I want to clear the record. I did not pass that bill at the state legislator or sign it on the governor's desk. Um, so I did not do that. Um, and then there is a house bill that has just passed uh, both chambers. And so it's on now to Governor Pritzker to sign it. It has not been signed by Governor Pritzker. So it is at that stage where it's on his desk. Um, the legislative session has now ended. It did pass that session. Um, and it is SB 818. And it mm -hmm. previously was called the REACH Act, um, but this is the second iteration of it. Um, so they've been working on this for several years as well. And I've had the opportunity to work closely with um, 
the ACLU, Equality Illinois, and Planned Parenthood to provide some data and some feedback from our youth here in McLean County, um, and then advocate for this to, to move forward. Originally, it was the REACH Act, and then it has now switched to being called the Keeping Youth Safe and Healthy Act. Um, and so, would you like me to dive into what that act is? Yes, I would, but there was one other thing I had a question on before okay. we dive too deeply into that. So there was a change in the language that you had sent me in that first article, a change in the language to recognize other marriages than heterosexual. Yeah, that um, yeah. let me talk about that really quick because um, this still gives me a pit in my stomach. And this is actually yeah. why, why I got involved in advocating at the state level um, and including our youth stories because um, currently, right now, we have a incredibly antiquated sex ed bill um, mm -hmm. that is that is active um, it hasn't been updated in ages um, 1989 was that the year when they wrote it yeah you know how yeah. old I was in 1989 one year old one you know what's changed in in 32 years a lot um, and so here we are um, well, and that let's, been let's, like, like if we want to frame 1989 in a political age that was the time that we were shaming the homosexual community for AIDS and uh -huh. that was around the time that Dr. Fauci was inferring that AIDS could be passed in the household from one person to another right like there was some real weird stuff going on around this time period when this bill was written the world only has progressed a right? lot since then yes only this year are we now decriminalizing AIDS um, mm -hmm which is wild, right? Okay, so like a lot has happened. But what hasn't happened is our sex ed bill has not been updated once. Um, and so when we think about, like, that's problematic. Um, and so the language, I have it here, I want to make sure I don't mess it up. Um, there is language in our Illinois sex ed law that it must Okay, it's not required in Illinois. It's required in 29 states at this point that you teach sex ed. It is not required in Illinois. It is still optional for you to teach it at all. But if it is taught, it has to be uh, medically appropriate and it has to have consent. So I guess it has been updated since 1989 to add that consent, if you are teaching it, if you choose to teach it, consent has to be a piece of it. But this piece is still in there. And it says, if you choose to teach it, it must honor and respect monogamous heterosexual marriage as when you should be having sex. Yep. That is, yeah. Yeah. That seems no, like some like footloose type legislation. That's old school. <laughs> right. So like, like, let's take LGBTQ people out of that for a second and just think about what families look like in 2021. What not LGBT families look like. We have blended families, we have um, single parents, we have grandparents, we have aunts and uncles as guardians. Like it's very different. And, and to say basically that sex is literally only for those people. It's yeah, it, it, it to me, it aligns with like the abstinence argument, right? right? It just doesn't, I mean, maybe on paper, these things made sense to people when they wrote them, but in implementation and in practice, it just doesn't represent the real world. Yeah. And so I will say this, since you brought up abstinence, um, because Illinois sex ed law is so um, arbitrary and it's not required. Um, and there's obviously some antiquated 
details to it. Um, in our community, I did a survey with our youth um, and I shared this data with um, the, the sponsors of this bill um, a while back. Um, and it's a small cross-section of McLean County LGBT youth, but I asked them a lot of really pointed questions about the sex ed that they've received so far in public education. Mm -hmm. um, and in McLean County, we have some teachers choosing to teach medically appropriate sex ed with all of the components that we need to have um, as far as um, you know, STIs and protection and um, pregnancy and all of those things, right? And then we have some teachers who are choosing to teach it, probably because it's required by their district or their school, but they're teaching abstinence only. Don't have sex until you're married. And then it honors that and respects that monogamous heterosexual marriage by just saying, don't have sex. What, what in a world when we know that that's not helpful, why would we lean into that? And so it, it's my understanding that for the first time, a certain teacher who has always taught abstinence only has now allowed Planned Parenthood to come in, um, an advocate from Planned Parenthood come in and teach what the other teacher in that school has been teaching, which is the other components of sex ed in order to keep them healthy and safe. Um, and there's a ton of pieces to this bill once we get to it um, that address some of those things. Um, but I, I will say right here in Bloomington Normal and in McLean County, our youth are saying to me that the sex ed, if they've received it, because some of them haven't, if they've received it has been inadequate and their teachers haven't been prepared to teach it. I don't know about you, but I went to a small school. So my health and sex ed was taught by the football coach and the athletic director because there wasn't a health teacher. And so yeah. that's who taught it. And I can tell you, he was very uncomfortable and he was not prepared. And I didn't learn the things I needed to learn in there to then go out and navigate the world. Um, because apparently the day you graduate, you become an adult and then you can like just you know everything about life and you can just do it, right? Yeah, it's in the diploma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's a piece of paper. <laughs> um, and so I don't, I heard that loud and clear from our youth saying it was either inadequate or my teacher was unprepared or um, incapable of answering our questions, of doing anything besides what's in the book, um, and that they were uncomfortable. And that's not a reflection on the teacher, that's a reflection on them not having the right resources in the training. Right. And so well, part of this bill is to help with that. It's to prepare them. Um, it's not to sexualize children. It's not to endanger children. It is actually the opposite. It is to set them up to be safer, to be healthier. Um, and so I do know that here in McLean County, there's a major issue with this and, and it's, it needs to be revamped. No, I, I, I do agree with you. And let's let's jump into that, Bill. I just want to say one thing before we kind of get into the nuts and bolts of that. And that is just to reiterate the term of inclusivity, because the one thing that I was struck by when I looked through all the stuff that you had sent and all the additional research I could find, um, 
so much less about the things that people have been yelling about at the school board meetings. And it's so much more, and I touched, we touched on this in the conversation with Brandon, it's kind of a common theme for the week. So much more about just making people feel comfortable in the space that they are in and helping people to learn in a way that reflects themselves, right? Like if the curriculum does not reflect the people in the classroom, the curriculum is not going to resonate with the people in that classroom. Correct. Right. Yeah. And everyone deserves to see themselves reflected in their education, in their their workplace, in their whatever place that they're in. They're, they deserve to be reflected there. They deserve to see themselves. Um, and so a big piece of, of the trainings that I've done and my advocacy on behalf of this bill is just that. It's to let the next generation know that they're valid um that they can see themselves represented that they can ask questions and get answers that are adequate for who they are or who they're imagining themselves to be and they're not quite safe to be yet or who they're questioning about themselves like we don't learn or grow by being shut down when we ask questions mm -hmm. um and and youth are amazing Teenagers are amazing. They have the capacity to see things at such a broader level than some of us older generation um, do. And they have this worldview that's so different than when I was a teenager. Um, and I think it's important to note that like part of my work is preparing those adults, um, mm -hmm. those trusted adults in their life um, to be able to include the queerest generation that we've seen yet. When I graduated high school in 2006, the statistic of 13 to 19 year olds or 13 to 18 year olds, I apologize, that consider themselves completely heterosexual was around 10%. Um, in a 2019 study, so we're two years after that, that statistic has shifted to only 48%. And I would have to look up the new statistic of what that is, or if they've done a study since 2019, that was the most recent study I could find. 48% consider themselves completely heterosexual. So just in 15 years, we've gone pretty far in that spectrum of, of queer, right? Of yeah. kids being um, more flexible with their sexuality, more open to other um, sexualities. And so the adults in, our, in their lives need to have the tools and resources. So part of my job, um, and part of what I've taken on is filling their tool belt so that they can adequately answer these questions or point them in the right direction to the resources that already exist um, mm -hmm. to keep them safe. Um, and so part of that training that I did, and I'll just quickly talk about this, um, LGBT youth statistics around mental health and suicidality keep me up at night. They give me a pit in my stomach and they're, they are the fuel that is, is what's burning inside of me to do this because I do worry about the youth who don't have those resources, who don't have those adults. And there was a study done um, in 2017 that's, that indicated that if a LGBT youth has one trusted adult, one safe adult, um, their risk for suicide goes down by 40%. That matters, mm -hmm. right? Like, even if we don't agree on anything else, like you can see that all I'm trying to do is like make less kids kill themselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like the inclusion is not to exclude anyone. It's not pie. 
right? Like I'm not giving more pieces to these kids and taking them away from these kids. I'm just mm -hmm. trying to let these kids be a part of it, see right, themselves right. reflected. Um, and so sometimes we need to be able to see it from a different perspective. And some of the, the adults that I've worked with had never thought of some of these things because it's not their lived experience. Um, and so um, I'm not asking anyone to become gay. I'm not like handing out cards to the club, right? Like I'm not adding you to the Rolodex. I'm just trying to make sure that the spaces that you're in make it safe for the, the other kids that maybe haven't always been um, included or celebrated or represented. Um, and so like, that's a big piece of why I'm yelling about this. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're right. And I think talk with people about these issues, right? Critical race theory, um, any, any sort of inclusive sex ed. Um, I feel like we should always start at like a baseline. And if, if the baseline is that we all as members of a community agree that mental health is an issue, and then we start to unpack where mental health exists most prominently, it would only seem to make sense to address those issues. And, and like, and just stopping there is like, right. You, all right, we're on the same page. So it, it, what we're not doing is, is then forcing education down people's throat. And so like, let's use that as a chance to to get into the details of this bill, please. Yeah, okay, so I'm gonna jump into it. It's um, SB 818, and as I mentioned, it's passed the Illinois General Assembly. It's now on Governor Pritzker's desk waiting to be signed. Um, and then there, there's a plan for it being integrated into our curriculums, right? Um, and there's, there's a couple pieces I wanna make sure to hit because it's not mandatory. The mandatory piece was taken out. Um, so it will still be optional in Illinois. Um, so, the keep, <laughs> right, the Keeping Youth Safe and Healthy Act creates guidelines for teaching age-appropriate, inclusive, and comprehensive personal health and safety education, sexual health education in Illinois public schools, okay? So that's where it starts. It's not just sex ed. It's about health and safety. It's about understanding your body. It's about understanding other people's bodies. Um, and so the person health, uh, personal health and safety standards would start at age kindergarten, at grade kindergarten, and go through 12th grade. But it would expand what that looks like to be age appropriate so that it's not what the 12th graders are learning, is not what the kindergartners are learning, right? It's age appropriate. It's established along um, Illinois School Board Association, <laughs> like, um, they are they have been a part of it right it's not like just this arbitrary thing that we're imagining um and so giving young people the tools the resources the language um so that they can be safe and it will support responsible and informed decision making um about their health about their well-being and about the people around them, right? Their health and well-being. Um, so I don't know about you, but if you go buy a car or a house or um, invest your money in something or take on a new job, you're gonna do some research, right? You're gonna make a decision based on the facts that you can get um, and weighing the pros and cons. This bill is essentially doing that for you. It's equipping them to have informed decision-making around their body, their safety, and their health. So like, that's the very basis of it. Um, and so some of it is your anatomy and your physiology. Um, there have been studies done that when young people 
are taught the proper anatomy terms for their body, they are able to easier name when something is not right. Maybe that's a UTI, maybe that's a behavior of a trusted adult, maybe that's a child in their class who's touching them inappropriately. If they don't have the right language for it, if they don't have an understanding of their bodily autonomy that they are in control of it, and these are the, the pieces of it, it's not easy to name. And so yeah. some of, before I go on a tangent, some of what the concern is here at the kindergarten and first grade, second grade level is that we're teaching them inappropriate things about their body. But what it's supposed to do is teach them that those things are very, very normal and they're theirs to own. They own them. Um, and there have been studies that have shown that when kids understand that, they're able to better prevent sexual abuse and they're better able to name it when something is not right. And that could just be health and safety, or it could be a person being inappropriate with them or that they're uncomfortable with something. Um, and so that's a big piece of it. And I'm not gonna go into the statistics, but most sexual abuse cases of children, it is a trusted adult in their life. It is not a random encounter with a person that they found on the street, right? Most of the time, it's a trusted adult. And so if we give them the tools to be able to name that and say that Uncle Ricky made me feel uncomfortable and he touched this part of my body, if they don't have the, the language to know that that's not okay, mm -hmm. trusted person, he's at Christmas, he's at Thanksgiving, you know, he's at, he's at all these places, that's a trusted person. If they don't know that that's not fine, they'll never name that that thing happened to them because they're gonna normalize it. They're gonna say that this was fine because no one ever told them that it wasn't. And so at the K through five level, we're not gonna teach them things that like are inappropriate. We're gonna teach them how to recognize what is normal and what is not normal and what to do if something doesn't feel right. Um, and so there's development pieces to it. And then there's always the health and the safety pieces built into each of these age appropriate levels. Um, and so then going up, it goes on to talk about uh, sexually transmitted diseases and um, pregnancy and all those things, right? Health and safety for your body and for the bodies around you, right? Um, and so then it also, expands that medically accurate piece, um, develop me, developmentally and age appropriate piece, um, and then adds a cultural component, um, inclusive components, um, and, and it's trauma informed. And so I went to school for special ed um, in my undergrad. Since then, trauma informed educators has become one of the, the most uh, important pieces of establishing education across all subjects that is understanding that when usually there's a behavior, there's something underneath the level, right? And so this training will be trauma-informed. It will take into account that young children are sexually abused by adults on a regular basis um, mm -hmm. and start to normalize understanding that that's not normal. Um, and so that's a piece that's in there. And then there's some pieces about um, uh, LGBTQ aspects of this that have been stigmatized and excluded. Um, we talked about AIDS for a little bit um, and, and we do a whole, whole episode on the way that um, AIDS patients were excluded and um, 
criminalized, and even there are still remains of people who were never collected by their family because of their age status or because of their sexuality. Like that's real. Um, and so the more tools we have to prevent something like that from happening, the better. And that's all built into there. Um, a couple of things I wanna make sure I say is that um, it, it is also going, it gives the schools the tools and the training it gives the instructors the opportunity to be comfortable in leading this in a way that, that makes the most sense. Um, and so part of what I heard from our youth was that their teachers were not equipped. So this has an, a piece to equip the instructors. Local schools can also choose to opt out of this and parents can also choose to opt their children out. And so those are a couple of pieces that have gotten lost in this shuffle because we're mad we're big mad about the idea of it but we haven't actually dived in and learned that those two pieces are in it um and so they did take the mandatory piece out um which is good um and then a couple other things um it's by august if it's signed by august 1st of 2022 so next august the state board of education will adopt the standards that align with the national standards for comprehensive personal health and safety um, and sexual health education. And so this isn't just like Planned Parenthood or Equality Illinois, like saying these are the things we need to teach. They're aligning it with the national standards um, and then working with the State Board of Education to ensure that that's in it, right? Um, and they will make the resources available to the schools. The Illinois State Board of Education will make those resources available. That's a piece that it's been kind of arbitrary. You can kind of choose. And so what this is doing is it's aligning with the curriculum um, and then offering the resources. And then a year after that, so uh, July 1st of 2023, public and charter schools will then start teaching that comprehensive personal health and safety and sexual health education. Schools will still retain their local control um, through the selection of the curriculum and the instructional materials. They will still get to choose that. Um, local schools will get to still decide who administers this for their school, which is important, right? We're not naming that across the board. Um, they can also bring in outside organizations like the health department or the Planned Parenthoods or the Central Illinois Friends, whatever organization, if they don't think that their teachers are capable or comfortable teaching it, they have the opportunity to bring that instruction in from a third party, like the health department or Planned Parenthood or those kinds of things. Um, and so two years after it is put into effect, then that's when the data starts coming back to the Illinois School Board um, or uh, State Board of Election or uh, Education, I'm sorry. So it's, it is a long term. It's not that like August 1st of this year, we're going to just start doing it and it's going to be willy nilly. It has a plan and it has phases and it has all sorts of things in it to provide the materials and to provide the resources to those that need to make the decisions um, and, and takes out a lot of that um, gray area, right? Gives them standards um, to follow and um, so there's there's a several different things age appropriate, um, culturally appropriate, inclusive of marginalized communities, trauma informed, um, and and complete 
So that's the, the one that I wanted to talk about. It's in line with national standards. So Illinois is not out here doing something crazy, right? We're, we're aligning ourselves with the national standard. Um, and so it's important to me and it, I have been a huge advocate of it on like the backside as a person, as a person who runs an organization that has youth that absolutely have identified that this matters to them. Um, but it was not a part of my training in any way. Um, and I wasn't like there endangering anyone or indoctrinating or sexualizing children or anything like that. I was just providing information so that because this doesn't exist right now for the adults, the trusted adults to have some more tools and resources in their belt. Yeah, and, and I wanna use this time to, to make a comment as well as ask another question. Um, and my comment is, uh, I think we should think very seriously about the accusations that we're throwing around to any members of any community, especially members of our Bloomington normal community. Um, I don't think that it makes anyone better for throwing around these accusations baseless accusations, frankly, um, without being willing to sit down and have a conversation with that person. Now, um, on to the question. You mentioned in August 22 is when the books would come out. Is that when we will see the book? And I think I'm, I'm not even going to name names because that's not what we're here for, but I think you know what book I'm talking about with the purple cover. Yeah, there's a book <laughs> with a purple cover. Um, <laughs> and just through a little searching because I really wanted to know, like I had never seen that book before. Mm -hmm. So let's start there. I've never seen that book before. Um, so I did a little searching and my understanding is that book was created in the nineties um, in a similar situation to this for this reason. And then it was brought forward in a similar situation to school boards yelling about us using this book and that it shouldn't be a part of the curriculum which it was not um and then separate from that that book was then banned as a reminder that book was not being used at the time it was created as a pawn and then was then then was banned but it was banned from being used when it wasn't being used um and so it's important to note that that's where it came from and also, it is not being used in Bloomington Normal. And I know Brandon talked about critical race theory and how like it's not being taught because it's actually like a foundation. It's not like a curriculum. And that's the same for this. Um, so this bill hasn't passed yet, as a reminder. Um, when it does pass, it won't be in effect until next year to start getting the resources and then the following year to be implemented, okay? So what we're waving around and screaming about doesn't exist. It is not being taught in Bloomington Normal. It is not being used. It is not a part of the curriculum. Um, and I have data to show you that our, our inclusive sex ed doesn't exist. Um, and so that book is wild to me, but it is, it is a great depiction of this national conversation that's happening about critical race theory and about these kinds of things, right? This inclusion um, in sex ed. And so I have been, and it's in quotes, um, it's been said that I have been indoctrinating, endangering, 
and sexualizing children, which are all untrue. And that book that was being waved around is not being used. I would be blown away knowing the uh, school boards, knowing the superintendent, um, that that book would ever be on a shelf. And we heard this week from um, Dr. Wolf uh, that not a single parent has approached her office who handles all curriculum decisions about what's being taught. She encourages people to come to her. I guarantee if you do a little research on that book and you go approach Dr. Wolf, who's from District 87 or uh, Dr. Weichel from Unit 5 or whoever their curriculum, actually they just hired a diversity and inclusion specialist to help integrate these um, into their curriculum in a way that makes the most sense as they opt in and choose what their district is gonna do. So there are people at both districts that would be happy to answer your questions about curriculum issues. But right. what, so let what, me ask this, outside of the districts, in your socialism Marxist meetings that no <laughs> one is invited to, have you been forming a plan to shove this book down America's throats? Oh yeah, I actually wrote it in the 90s when I was in <laughs> kindergarten, so. Um, we just would move to ban it, like we wouldn't <laughs> notice you guys banned it, but then you bring it back. I see what you're doing, okay. Right, I, yeah, so it's, it's um, yeah, I'm sorry you didn't get the invitation to those meetings, Ed. I'll make sure to add you to the calendar invite. Um, yeah, so <laughs> out here, um, you know, with this gay agenda, and it is absolutely to use a book that was banned um, in the '90s, and uh, and and like it's it's incredibly inappropriate. And I like all joking aside, we're joking right now. Yes. I yes parents reach out to me about that book and they're like what can you tell me so that's why I did some more research because I was like I don't know what that book is and yeah. several of them have elementary age kids who support this kind of um age appropriate um education so that their safety and well-being and they they have had like uh stepping stones from YWCA has come into the local schools and done some of this like age appropriate they have they have special program for this of education and outreach and they've had to sign a consent form allowing their kid to sit in on this now that education specialist from ywca has age appropriate national standards that they follow um but this one parent said oh yeah when my kid was in kindergarten i signed that thing for stepping stones to come in and do um some of this training like teaching them about their body and all that and she's like is this book being used like this is outrageous and I was like no that book is not being used I can tell you that but let me do some research about what that book is but I've had several parents that are very concerned and we're spreading lies we're spreading misinformation I doubt any of them have read these bullet points and back to your original point it's about inclusion it's about education representing this diverse generation that's coming up behind us it is going to be the most queer and brown and black and mixed and beautiful rainbow of diversity. And all of us dinosaurs either need to get out of the way or be a part of it. Like that's it. These kids are gonna rule the world. They're gonna change the world. But some of us dinosaurs are, are going and putting barriers in their way when we shouldn't be. Um, because they're they're going to be taking care of us when we're in the nursing home, right? Like these are yeah. the kids that are going to 
take care of us someday. So we should probably fix ourselves. Yeah. Well, and I would say too, I mean, this leads me to our next question, but uh, I would say that as a parent, um, I know my child's uh, sexual education has been handled differently. And um, there are a lot of things like even using proper scientific terms for different parts of the body um, that I have seen have made my kids more open. They have been more direct um, when something confuses them. And albeit it makes me uncomfortable at a lot of times, uh, <laughs> I have to I have to respect that they're doing the right thing. Uh, uh, one, you know, I wrote this down is that like healthy relationships as a goal should be something that we think about because we all know that our parents and our our our, our you know familiar circles of people don't always emulate. Um, healthy relationships to children. And I think regardless of your sexuality, if we can at least get America over that hurdle of identifying problematic relationships, that would be huge for our mental yeah. health. Yeah. And so part of part of being a stick in, in the, the mud is that um, we're breaking generational cycles, right? Mm -hmm. um, it makes you uncomfortable because that's not what you had as a a young person, but you also understand the benefit of your kids being able to be more open. And you know, if they are in junior high and they have an unhealthy relationship with a partner, they're going to be able to say to you, hey, this is uncomfortable or this thing happened. And right, because you've built that in. And that brings me to another point that's been flung around a lot, not just here, but like on a national level. If parents were doing their, our parents should be doing their job, right? This isn't, this shouldn't be in the public school. And I hear that, um, and I would love to live with rose-colored glasses that everybody was going to get sex ed like you just said your kids are getting. Um, but what the reality is, is a lot of kids' basic needs are not met at home. They're hungry. Their um, shelter and food needs are not being met. Um, they have someone abusive in their life. They have sexual abuse happening. They have physical abuse happening, mental abuse. Um, so like on a, a very small level, right? Maybe we don't put this on parents because some parents are not even able to meet those, those basic needs. And then separate from that, um, if we only rely on parents, then we get to gatekeep the information that kids get. And if you're not comfortable sharing something that you don't understand um, and you're the abuser of that child, imagine what that looks like in that keeping that kid in that cycle of abuse and mistreatment, right? And so I understand why people who are parents, I'm not a parent, so I'm not speaking as someone who is a parent, but what I just heard you say is we are doing this at home but also it's setting them up for when they go into public school or they go out into the world, right? And I'd love for all parents to have the tools to be able to do this, but that's not the case. And a lot of children are hurt by trusted adults. And so teachers, educators, the school has the opportunity to give them tools to be resilient and resourceful young people so that when situations come up, they can make informed decisions. Um, just like when we buy a car, just like when we start a new career, just like when we buy a house or travel somewhere, we make informed decisions. We should be able to do that about our bodies and about our partner's bodies when we get to that age where we're starting to explore other people's bodies, knowing that they have 
boundaries and they have their own um, bubble as well. And, and so that consent piece and those healthy relationships, like those are important. And then the more we do that, the more we break those generational cycles of, of not allowing them to be these beautiful blossoms um, that they should be. And so that that's a big piece of it. And it's something that's thrown around a lot. And I'm not at all canceling out the parents who are doing that work at home. What I'm saying is not every kid has that at home. Right. 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 And I think we, I mean, when I grew up, imagine the amount of the amount, not imagine, but I remember the amount of shows that would have physical abuse situations in them. And you would see mm -hmm. little Billy, he didn't want to pull his sleeve up in front of the teacher because he had a big bruise on there. So, right. I mean, we, we know there has been issues that haven't been taken care of at home. And we have yeah. looked to the public institutions to recognize and attempt to intervene on those issues in the past. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's, um, let's kind of wrap this up. A couple questions here. Um, if I'm a parent who wants to learn more, I know we're going to provide the PowerPoint. We're going to do this podcast, but what, who, who should they be reaching out to other than um, some of the folks we've seen most loudest lately? Um, so like on a national level, there's tons of resources. Um, the Trevor Project is a organization focused on LGBTQ plus mental health in mm -hmm. youth and adults. Um, and that is actually where I got a lot of my statistics um, and including the one about suicidality. They have a ton of resources. Um, the ACLU, the Human Rights Campaign and um, PFLED partnered together and made this great resource um, for parents who are navigating maybe some LGBT um, concepts with their youth. There are PFLAG is parents and families of lesbians and gays. There is a local chapter. There is a local chapter for trans parents. It's called Transparent. Um, and it's, it's a national organization with a local chapter, just like PFLAG. So it's on a national level. And then we have local chapters of it. Prairie Pride Coalition has a resource directory. So if you're looking for an LGBTQ friendly doctor or therapist or um, other community organization or business, um, they're there. And they can also, if you just email them, they can point you maybe to someone. Um, I'm happy to always share. I'm going to give you the slide deck and my email address is in it. And I'm happy to be a resource or if I don't know, reach out. Um, like I said, I've partnered with Equality Illinois. They are a great advocate um, for, for our families and our, our LGBT um, youth and adults, um, ACLU of Illinois, um, Planned Parenthood of Illinois, they all have a ton of resources. And, and all of those are um, designed to break these cycles, right? Um, you can also uh, call PATH. Uh, 211 if you're local and they can get you in touch with some of the other organizations if it's crisis especially um, if someone's in crisis they can get you tied in at least for the temporary um, and your school administrators um, if you have questions about like what they can do for your youth or what they can do for you, they are working actively to have those resources available. Um, and that was part of that was having me come in. Um, having books, there's a ton of books out there at age appropriate levels about inclusion of LGBT people um, as families 
evolve, right? Family structures evolve. There are books that that help us understand that Timmy has two dads or, um, you know, whatever. There's tons of books out there about that or that Timmy used to be Jenny and we're using um, different pronouns now. Like those exist and they're not, they're not sexualizing kids. They're just, in, they're validating their, their little experiences. And I have found that kids are much more uh, able to understand it than adults. It's, it's hard for adults and we're just raising this generation of kids that like they get it. It's right. They don't have all of these other social expectations. They're just like, Oh, okay, cool. Like, I, it, 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 I mean, right. I've, I've heard people relate these issues to common core math and how upset we were as parents when common core math comes in. And right. I'll tell you what, I got to Google a lot of stuff when it comes to helping my kids with their math homework, but right. They get it. It works for them. It makes sense to them. When they explain the concept of how they do it to me, it does seem more logical than the way that we have done it. And hey, maybe right. that's a trend. But your brain, <laughs> your brain has barriers because you learned it a different way. It's the same thing with any kind of inclusion like this, right? And I think you brought up an important point. Your math teacher, your kid's math teacher is the expert. They know this, right? We're relying on them to follow national standards and to teach it in a way that makes sense to the kids. That's exactly what this bill is. It's like, it's, instead of math, it's bodies. It's yeah. health and safety, right? It's the same thing. Well, okay, I'm with it. All right, let's let's wrap <laughs> this one up. We we went over an hour, so like I think we're we've I think you've included so much information that I've even crossed off some questions as we went because you've already hit on them. Um, so, so my last question, and I think this is a great way to end it. Um, I'd like to close by asking you to offer a response to all the students who were expressing themselves on this issue amidst a sea of adults acting foolishly. Man, um, I am so uplifted by the youth who have the courage and the ability to lean into their power at such a young age. Regardless of what they say into that microphone, the fact that they are able um, to stand up for what they believe in and to do it in a way that feels the most authentic to them and their lived experience. Um, and, and everything that they're saying means something to them. And so for them to stand up and do that and lean into their power, I am so uplifted by that. It is amazing. And in those cases, I can't wait to get out of the way so that those youth who are going to change this world have the, the megaphone. And I'm, I'm just sitting back here turning the speaker up, right? Like I am here for that. And um, I also want to say, I appreciate the strength that it takes to show up in those spaces, to say something different than those that are saying things around you, and to do it respectfully, even when you're being treated like garbage, even mm -hmm. when you're being mocked and jeered at and laughed at, um, and even when your safety was potentially um, at risk, you continue to lean into your power. And I know that each of the students that have spoke up lately, um, their shoulders are a little stronger after this week. Um, and the more we encourage them to lean into that power, the more beautiful this world is going to be. Um, and so I'm grateful for those students. I'm grateful for the parents and the educators who made space and supported those amazing youth standing up. And so I, 
keep doing it, keep causing necessary good trouble, um, and lean on those that are, are supporting you um, because we are in it together. We're linking arms, we're taking the tomatoes to our face because we're raising our head above the crowd. And um, keep giving those of us dinosaurs the hope that that it matters. Um, I'm, I'm uplifted by you and I am in awe of your courage. I was not like you at that age. So kudos to you for being able to do that. Right. And I, one thing I should also mention that I forgot to mention at all in this podcast is it's pride month right now. So, I mean, Hey, you know, one, one interesting takeaway I took from what Brandon said was that no, we've never spoken about the 1619 project, but we're going to have to do it now. I think, I think, hey, I mean, to all those people who are throwing shade at this legislation, uh, maybe you don't want to run around throwing so much hyperbole because it's just going to force people to set you straight. So shout out to everybody in the LGBTQ community. If you've met teenagers, I just have to say this. If you've yep. ever met a teenager and you tell them not to do something, if you tell them that what they're saying is wrong, oh, they're going to dig their heels in and they're going to get every piece of information and they're going to come back with receipts and they are going to tell you about yourself um, and they're going to lean into it. And so I hope that um, this does not tear them down, but builds them even stronger. Um, and I, I hope that that is the case and that's what we're seeing. So you're right. 51 years ago, 52 years ago now, Stonewall happened, right? Um, that was over 50 years ago. And it was started by a black trans woman saying no more. Um, but yet we're still here seeing black trans women and men um, mm -hmm. murdered all the time. The 2020 was the most dangerous year for trans people. So like, we're not there yet. We haven't arrived. And nope. so the more that we talk about it, the more that we link arms and the more that we start to um, make these spaces actual um, gardens where these people can flourish, where these kids can flourish. And, and I said this a lot when I ran for office, we all do better when we all do better, right? Like that's my thing. I'm mm -hmm. not trying to get more pie for me. I'm not trying to get pie, more pie for anybody. It's not pie. We're just trying to also have the same rights and abilities as you do. That's it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jackie, for your time. Um, you're always welcome on this podcast, whether you're running for mayor, whether you're fighting the conservatives or whatever you're up to. We always love to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me. This was wonderful. And and I appreciate um, your uh, your neck above the, the crowd, too, because I'm sure you're going to get some tomatoes here. Just yelling into the void. I'd like to think about it that way. <laughs> yelling into the void. <laughs> I like thank it. you so much. At a time when we need an adult in the room, there seems to be a shortage. In alternative, as a society, we've allowed corporations to dictate how and what we can say to each other while commonly silencing marginalized voices. Politicians pander to the polls of each party without ever converting any meaningful policy. And education has again become a weapon against progress students are asking for. So where do we go from here? Well. Just like I ended the last podcast, I'm looking to the youth of this nation to buck the trend and claim power from the grasps of the earlier generations. Because, to be frank, they have no plan to help you succeed in life once they're gone. Study the issues, stick to the facts of the matter, 
and don't allow yourself to be drawn into the emotional arguments of the opposition. If we are going to make America great again, it's not going to be by reverting to the ideals that have created such disparity across this nation. Thank you for listening and happy Pride Month.